Welcome to the Coppreneur Path Podcast. Welcome to the show that is all about the path from cop to coppreneur. I'm your host, Adam Wills. With this podcast, I am going to help equip you for your own post-law enforcement entrepreneurial journey with lessons learned from my experience growing a successful post-Leo business. You'll also get to hear from fellow coppreneurs and experts in business and marketing whose advice will give you an edge against the competition. You are in the right place. So let's get after it. Welcome back to the Coppreneur Path podcast brought to you by CEO.com. I'm going to start off this episode with a question, guys. And no, this is not an advertisement. Do you have antivirus software on your computer? The reason I ask that is because most people are going to answer yes to that, right? We, we recognize the need to protect our asset of our computer, right? We don't want it to uh, end up with spam and malware and viruses and all of those things, right? And so my next question to you is, do you look at your business the same way? Are you looking at your business as something that needs to be protected, something that needs to uh, uh, have a barrier around it to ensure that it maintains its value and its worth? And if the answer to that is no, then I want to make sure that we take an opportunity to shift your mindset on that today. And so I brought on a special guest uh, for the show today, and we are going to speak to Jeremy Stretton from the Business Legal Lifecycle. Jeremy is a, an attorney. Now, don't boo and don't shut off the, the podcast now, but Jeremy is an attorney, and I know you guys are going to be like, hey, this is, this is not the first attorney we've had on the show, but... In previous episodes, when we talked to Wesley Henderson, we talked about the startup of your business, legal formation, and those sort of things. Well, now I want to shift that to kind of the next series of cycles of your business. Uh, and that's where Jeremy specializes is in understanding the different cycles that your business goes through and what is what needs to be done from a legal standpoint to protect your assets and your intellectual property. Um, so, Jeremy, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. Thanks so much, Adam. Really looking forward to the chat. And just because I'm a lawyer, yeah, it, that's okay. I'm a business lawyer, so um, it's all it's all good. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because uh, in law enforcement, when uh, when we hear the uh, somebody that's an attorney or a lawyer, you know, we we kind of have to roll our eyes a little bit and go, Ugh, right? Because it doesn't really matter whether it's the DA's office, the prosecutor, or the defense attorneys. We kind of always feel like we're being let down. Uh, so. Um, Anyway, but but hey, you know what? You're not a defense attorney and you're certainly not a DUI attorney, which are the worst of the defense attorneys. <laughs> so um, I'll give you I'll give you a pass and and I'm welcoming you to the show wholeheartedly anyway. Thank you so much. And um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a lawyer from Australia as well. So that, that's even that's even better. So <laughs> it's all right. You should you should see the greeting I give to firefighters. I mean, hose draggers when they come on the show. Um, but uh, <laughs> so uh Let's let's talk a little bit about this idea of protecting your business. Um, why? I guess the first question I have is why is this something that we actually need to talk about? Yeah, it's a great question, question, Adam. And what I've found is that uh, people in dealing with the law, especially the business law, take a very reactive view 
to that to, to dealing with their legal issues. And they do that because, yeah, you know, for the reasons, yeah, you know, we joke about you know, people not liking lawyers. That's one of the reasons why people don't do it. They don't like their lawyer. That they think that they're expensive, and they have a a, a, a very love hate relationship with them. Um, and it's the same here in Australia as it is in the US and the UK. You know, really around the world, that people uh, and what we've found, especially with business owners, is they take the attitude of "I'll just fix that later," and that can end up costing them a lot of money. Yeah. You know, uh, so I developed this concept called the business legal life cycle, and developed it out by looking at. Uh, thousands of businesses at the time it was over 5,000 businesses that I'd acted for and mapped out the journey that successful ones went on and ones that failed uh, where they went and and came up with this concept to show that there are certain steps that need to be taken at certain times and really to stop business owners from that reactive approach so really what we the shift we want to make for business owners is let's be more proactive let's be proactive in solving problems before they arise uh, you'll never know the exact amount of money that you save. I can guarantee you that you'll save money um, because it, it just does. But let's be proactive and prevent legal problems before they arise and not just hope that we can fix them later on. And that's why I developed the, the life cycle as a, as a business. I did it for myself in my business out of frustration uh, with a couple of legal matters that I had where people, in one case, one business lost over a million dollars of other people's money. That's, Austra- oh, wow. that's Australian dollars, but that's still Ooh. a significant amount. Um, and, and, one, yeah. <laughs> and one that almost lost over $2 million of his own money uh, because they didn't get legal advice. So it, it is real. And it, it, I tell those stories. I travel the world. I do podcasts all the time. And you know, I hear lawyers uh, and business owners say the same thing, that people just don't get that advice because they don't want to or, and they, they're scared of lawyers. And so we want to shift that. We want to shift that to make people more proactive and to really solve problems before they arise. I think one of the challenges, and I can say this from my own perspective in being a uh, a business owner myself, is that I don't want I don't want for people to feel like doing business with me is a uh, stiff like contractual relationship that's just you know uh, ink on a paper and there's no personality or uh, relationship to it right and so um, there's a fine line though because you know one might say well it's hard for me to recognize where the weaknesses or the uh, vulnerabilities are in my business but the reality is people like you have been studying this sort of thing and therefore it is it is relatively easy to see where at least the most obvious liabilities lie and do something about it. But again, it's just that, that relational side of things that I think keeps a lot of business owners from actually doing something. I agree. And I think uh, one of the, the parts of phase three, which is about initial clients, is actually you know, working out a way to engage with your clients in that way, in a way to protect yourself uh, and to have the right the right agreements in place that protects you uh, and, and make sure the agreement's in place whilst also not being that legal document that no one reads. So <laughs> I, I'm definitely in alignment of that and that's something that we that we encourage people to do. Let, let's let's make sure that what we put together is plain English. Everything I do is in plain English, Adam. Uh, yeah, I, I remember when I first wrote the book, uh, people were like, oh, this is actually in, in plain English. I can actually read this. It's not some lawyer textbook kind of thing, which a lot of people <laughs> thought it was. And they, they were surprised that a lawyer could actually write in plain English. It is possible. And, I, and, and agreements can be the same. 
Uh, you know, we were talking before, and I know this is a podcast that so people can't see the wall behind me, but I work for a, a coaching outfit over here. And one of the things that we do and that we teach our, our clients to do is when you engage with a customer, we actually work through the agreement with them clause by clause and make sure they understand it. And that just keeps that relationship going while still protecting us and protecting them to make sure that it's done correctly. I, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about that, if I'm honest. Um, okay. and, and no, I, I, I would love to hear more on what, like why... Um, why does doing that in person help? Because I would think that belaboring every clause of that that contract or agreement um, would actually kind of like scare people away. Is that not right? Um, that's not my experience. My experience has been that it, it actually does the opposite. If they really? read it. Okay. Yeah, it does the opposite because you can have a conversation around it and address any concerns that they have right then on the, on the spot. Okay. Uh, what we've found is that it, that it does work quite well. Uh, maybe different circumstances, different people. It, it may not, but in our experience, it's a good technique to explain things. It also builds that trust. You know, it, it, um, they talk about the 7-11-4. Yeah, you, need, you need to have seven um, hours on 11, plat- on 11 touches on four platforms to, to engage with a client. Yeah. That's kind of one of those, that's kind of part of that experience that you're having with the client where they're, where they're getting to do that. So we've found that it, it works quite well. Uh, I'd be interested if, if people try it and, and it doesn't to, to hear why that, that hasn't worked because, yeah, my experience has been positive on that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't negating your, you know, your stance on it. I just wanted to learn more um, about that because I, I think, I don't know, I can't picture myself. I, I'd be bored. <laughs> I would be bored sitting down and going over the contract, but I bet what it does do is there's a lot less surprises, right? So, uh, there, you know, somebody can't come back because you know, nobody reads those things, right? When you just send them to them and you're like, Hey, put your signature on it. They don't read it. They scan through it at best. Um, just like the, the agreement, the terms of, of use agreement that comes up when you need to update your iPhone, right? Nobody <laughs> looks at that. Nobody reads it and says like, we could take your kidney or something. And, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. <laughs> and that building that trust factor is so important, especially for, you know, uh, you know, the, not, the knowledge economy that has been built over the last 10, 20 years, uh, you need to build that, that trust and with the clients. And so it does in, in, in fact do that. It, it builds that, that trust and has that, that real conversation that you can have with people. Um, and I know you weren't, I know you weren't um, denigrating the idea. I just, I, I think that it can seem scary to do it and it might seem boring. Uh, I've just found that it does work well. Be interested in people trying it out and, and letting me know how they go. So, at what point in business uh, formation or the business journey in general is it best to really start taking a look at these sort of things? So, so I'll put my lawyer hat on Adam and say straight away, uh, and you should do it as soon as you start business. What I've found is, yeah, this age where you can start a business with an idea, a laptop, and an in, and an internet connection, really, uh, you know, people don't have the funds or the or the know how to do that. So, whilst my book is written, uh, it's business legal lifecycle, um, taking your business from startup to success. What I've found is that that often a lot of these legal issues people don't really uh, deal with until they're a couple of years in business. They've they've yeah they've got some runs on the board. They've built their business, and so everything that we've built has been around let's make it useful for the business owner that's been there for a couple of years 
and they're ready to start protecting their assets. Because let's face it, you know, I, I don't know what the stats are in America, but in Australia, you know, out of every 10 businesses, only three or four of them will survive the first couple of years of, of formation. And then you know, to get to 10 years, it's it's like one of those will will, will make it through. I think it's pretty similar over, over in the States um, and around the world. So you know, most of the time we find that people start looking at their legal risks a couple of years in, uh, that's the practical answer uh, and um, the realistic time that people actually get in and start doing it. I want to shift gears just a little bit and I want to spend some of our time here talking about uh, two things really uh, that, that I see kind of being topics of discussion that come up a, a lot in our community as well as um, questions that I get directly uh, and, and questions that I have myself that relate specifically to bringing on employees or subcontractors, and then also about protecting our intellectual property. Um, But before we do that, we need to take a quick break. So let's go ahead and hit the mid-roll break. Hey, it's Adam here, just jumping in for a quick break. The journey from cop to copreneur can be challenging. Isolation, after all, is the enemy of success. You need fellow copreneurs in your corner to share resources, ideas, challenges, and wins with. You need ongoing support and training in a safe and private environment. That is exactly what the LEO to CEO community is all about. Join now for free by going to leo2ceo.com and clicking on the green button. And I'll see you at our next live workshop. Now back to the show. All right. Welcome back, guys. Um, here with Jeremy. And we're going to talk for the rest of the show here. Uh, like I said, right before the break, we're going to talk about intellectual property and how to protect it. And then also, um, what are some things to be aware of? And we'll start here. What are some things to be aware of when bringing on employees or subcontractors, uh, the different risks that exist and how do we mit- mitigate those? Yeah, so the first one is to properly classify them between uh, an employee and a contractor um, or a W-2 or a 1098. Um, you you want to make sure that uh, you, you, you're engaging with them in the right way. Uh, so uh, making sure that you've got a contract. It's it's the same with clients, Adam. Um, yeah, when, you, when you first get a client, especially when you start your business, you, you want to get in there, you want to start dealing with a client, you want to start doing the work, you want to start you know, really achieving what uh, what they want to achieve and people forget to, to document what they actually agreed to at the beginning. It's the same with employees, especially early on in business. You're like, I want to bring on an employee. I want to start, I want to bring them in. I want them to help me. Um, and we don't actually define the terms of the agreement. So whether that's an employee or a contractor, we want to actually have a proper agreement in place that actually defines the expectations. Uh, because yeah, if you don't have it, if you don't have it written down, they'll have their expectations, you'll have your expectations, and the truth will be somewhere in the middle. And that's where most disputes come from. It will change over time, but the idea is to have uh, like a, a contract and really the terms of what your expectations are of them so that they really understand what that they're trying to do. That's that's key. And the thing that we see people get wrong most often is just not defining that. And I understand why they do that, uh, but it's really easy to put a contract in place to, to cover those things. So that's that's the main one. The second one I'd say is you know, once you have more than say one or two employees, it's around setting up the, the actual rules of how they're to engage in the work. So having some sort of manual about you know, how, how do that, you know, if you've got an office, say, you know, how do they present in the office? How do, even if you don't, you know, these days of distributed work, um, how they how they interact with clients, how they, they uh, 
show up on social media, all those kind of things. You can set the rules out. Uh, and you know, if you don't have those rules in place, they'll make up their own. So you're better off defining it for yourself. So they're probably the two big ones when you bring on employees that people miss. What are, what are some big nuances uh, between the employee contract versus the subcontractor? Like what are, what are some things that maybe might be touched on one or the other that aren't necessary in the other one? Yeah, so, so an employee will be, they're working for you all the time. So there's an exclusivity that comes with that where they can't really work for, for someone else. There are some exceptions to that. Whereas a contractor needs to be able to go and work for different people and different businesses. Uh, yeah, the, the rules vary uh, depending on the states and, and all the rest of that. But you know, a contractor is generally you know, going to contract you for, for a few hours a week or a number of hours a week. An employee should, you know, is ordinarily you know, there for a set period of time. Uh, things like if you've got an, a contractor, Usually they'll uh, supply their own, uh, say, tools of, of how they do things and they'll bring, up, bring on their own work. Um, you know, but where I contract for the coaching company, I provide all my own equipment for that. But if I was an employee, they would provide my equipment. Uh, and then um, probably the third one, and this depends on where you are, um, that there's different uh, rules. Like in Australia, for instance, there's different rules um, that uh, give employees more benefits than a contractor. And I know that's the same in the, in the sure. US as well yeah. um, and, and the UK. Uh, so the, the the agreement would have to have those rights in there uh, that the cover an employee and, and not a contract. But that's different. You know, In Australia, that's different by state. In America, that's different by state. We've got six states, you've got 50. <laughs> so, so we can't go into the nuance of it, but the, the, the contract needs to spe- spell out what those are to make sure that the um, employees covered and you're covered as well. So for subcontractors, things like uh, non-compete clauses or non-disclosure agreement uh, about your processes and assets, those those are more important for a subcontractor than an employee because you're saying that those things maybe are implied a bit in, in the employee-employer relationship? I think that documenting those are, pro- are crucial in both agreements uh, because okay. you really want to define what those things are. Uh, and and really, you know, in the type of businesses that you know, we were talking before about your your um, most of your listeners, the type of businesses that we're running, you know, knowledge based businesses, the the information that we have is the and client lists and client information is the most crucial part of of our business. It's it's the real asset of our yeah. business. And yeah. so, uh, whether they're an employee or a contractor, you want to be uh, protecting that in both in both contracts. There are some implied rights uh, and um, implied terms that go into contracts. I wouldn't leave it to chance, though. I would be putting them in a contract to make sure that it's clearly defined so that if they leave and they start to you know, tap your clients or you find that they're using your IP, that you can stop them. Uh, you don't want to. Yeah, who wants to go to, law to, to a lawyer to, and, and court to try and stop them from doing that? Uh, yeah, you don't practically want to do it, but uh, if you need to, you want to have that protection there. That was a really good segue, I think, into the discussion we need to have about intellectual property because... Like you said, um, the bulk of this audience, many of them are law enforcement instructors, coaches of some sort. Now, I mean, there's there's copperneurs that that do all sorts of different things, um, including coffee businesses and the like, right? But uh, the reality is, is that most of them are packaging up, productizing, and selling some form of intellectual property. And I think that it's really hard to take the non-tangible and make it tangible, right? And so how do we... How do we wrap our heads around what is our intellectual property and how do we describe what that is so that we can protect it? 
Yeah, it's a great question, Adam. And it's not just, uh, you know, the copreneurs who are doing that. It, you know, the knowledge economy is, is really just expanded so much, especially in the last 20 years. And so it's really important for everyone in, in that business to think about that. So there's different types of intellectual property. So let's start with the easy one. The easy one is is your business name. Um, that's your trademark. That's that's what you trade under. Uh, if if it's unique and it, no one else has a similar name, then you can register a trademark, and you can do that uh, in the state where you are, or you can do that in the in the country, what, wherever wherever you are. You know, looking to those rules, you can register a unique trademark. Often, that's not a hundred percent necessary. Uh, if you're just going to be, uh, you know, if you want a lifestyle business and and you know, you're just trading in a small area, uh, sometimes the cost and the expense of registering a trademark is unnecessary. Uh, that's one of the more controversial parts of the life cycle because your standard legal advice will be go and get the um, your trademark registered straight away. Uh, but what I've found is that that can be a bit of a waste of money, uh, and it's also something to not do straight away. Uh, again, standard legal advice would be to go and get your trademark registered when you start your business. The problem with that is that more often than not, people change the name of their business down the track, and so they waste money registering a trademark that they that they um, might want to um, change down the, down the track. So that's the first one is trademarks. Uh, where we're talking about the intellectual property of the business, uh, what we're really talking about is the systems and processes, the how we do things, and the how is really something that isn't protected in any meaningful way other than copyright. So when you when you when you write something down like a process or a procedure or a book even you you're given copyright over that and again depending on where you are there's different rules around that generally it lasts for your lifetime plus a period of time after that um, over here it's about fifty years in the in the US I think it's about the same um, most Western countries are around the same thing so whatever you create it, you're protecting the create that that creation by copyright one of the the big mis, misconceptions out there is that you're, you're only protecting, though, the expression of the idea. So my book, The Business Legal Lifecycle, I use that as an example in, in here. The, the, the actual words and the text of what I've written out is protected by copyright. So no one can go and take that and go and publish that and say that it's their work. The, the idea itself, though, is not really protected. Someone else can take that idea and so long as they change it, enough and and what is enough is is uh, an open-ended question i can't stop them from doing that because it's an idea and ideas unless they're a patentable idea which is a process and you know we're more talking about things in factories and and processes of how things are built and and, and things like that uh, you can't protect the process so, so so what you need to do to protect your intellectual property and how you do things is, is one to document it properly and two to protect it by having your agreements in place with your, your team and people who are going to see that intellectual property and and stop them from using it otherwise. But that's a biz, big misconception out there, Adam, that it's not the it's not your idea that's protected. There's no real way to protect ideas because ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the implementation that's pro, uh, protected and, yeah, it doesn't stop other people from getting that, that idea and, and using that in their own way. Yeah, well, I mean, I think... Um... To me, that actually the the process, the procedure, the methodology um, in for for my company is really the thing that I'm most guarded about. Right? I see that as having the most value because, yeah, the ideas are ideas, right? And the reality is, and let's let's not uh, uh, let's 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 not try and beat around the bush here. <laughs> we 
nobody really has had an original idea in hundreds of years, right? I mean, all we're doing is regurgitating different ideas, combining yep. them, right? And I, I mean, it's all the same ideas. It's just how we implement and utilize them. And so as a marketing agency, you know, it to me, it's our... Um, it's our process and the methodology that we use to take our clients from where they're at when they start working with us through a, a process to the end result that is focused on results. Uh, and, and that's what I want to guard is the process that we use to actually deliver the ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's what you can protect by protecting one, one actually documenting it. So that's, that's super important. Um, and so getting it out of the head and onto paper um, or onto, onto yeah. computer is super important. Then making sure that there's a trail of how that was generated. You know, um, I mean, Word and all those programs these days do a pretty good job of you know, date stamping when things were created and all the rest of it, but making sure that you've got that, that work. I do a lot of work with uh, occupational therapists over here in Australia. And it's similar to, to the type of businesses that we're talking about. There's a high degree of, well, everyone's got the, the, the similar ideas, but it's implementation. And uh, yeah. I did a conference with them um, about a year ago and they were shocked by the fact that they couldn't go and register their, their, you know, their plan somewhere. And I said, no, you don't. What you need to do is save it on your computer with, with date, date stamps and back it up somewhere so that if someone, you know, if, it, if a team member leaves and goes and starts up their own practice and all of a sudden they're using your, your systems and processes, then we can stop them. If you don't do that, mm -hmm. there's nothing we can do. Uh, you know, they'll just say, oh, I created that myself. And it's very hard to stop people too from taking what's in their head and putting it on paper. Right. And that's why as well, when we, you know, and what one part of your question that I didn't address was say clients. So client lists and who we deal with. It, again, that's in, in people's heads, you know, and so protecting that has to be, there's no automatic protection that has to be in your contracts with your team members and the people that you work with, having non-disclosure agreements, having things in there that, that protect your, your business so that people can't go and take it because you can't stop someone from ideas in their head. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And you know what? You actually just gave me a bit of a renewed vigor uh, about a project that we've been working on recently because uh, we have been spending a mind numbing amount of time uh, inside Lucid Charts, mapping out our customer journey uh, and then all of our process maps for every single service that we offer, every step that we take along the way, mapping that out, creating actual diagrams that show every single step. And up to this point, I really, I looked at it as something that was useful to us to make sure that we're consistent. Um, but, but now you've, you've gotten me to look at it in another light too, is that, well, now it's a documented process that I can, I can better protect because I can show that we documented it on this date and this is, it's been this way since then. And therefore I have some sense of intellectual ownership of it. That's right. And tools like Lucid Charts are great for that because they have the history of amendments. And, and usually, I can't remember whether Lucid Charts does this, but you can actually go back and do like your versions, looking at previous versions. I know that even Dropbox does that these days. Yeah. You, know, you have a Word document on there. And you know, from time to time, someone might accidentally save over an old version of, it, say, an article that we've written. But we can just go back and see the and find the previous version. And so you can really document that out if you need to. So I think. Um, I think, yeah, doing things like Lucid Charts, I've done that as well. I think it's a super valuable process 
that not only protects you, it actually helps you build a better business too, Adam, doing this process. It actually means that you're you're building that consistency of service and you're protecting yourself at the time, same time. So it's a win-win for you. So um, everyone should definitely get in there and do that. Yeah. Well, this has been a very enjoyable conversation about a very boring topic and <laughs> I appreciate it, but it's necessary and it's important. And I want to make sure that, that uh, my audience is just, is hearing the importance of making sure that this is a priority for your business. Um, because if you don't prioritize it for your business, uh, you, you might become one of those statistical numbers of the businesses that fail. And it may not be because you had a bad idea and a bad product and a bad service. It may be because you failed to uh, plug the gaps of, of the vulnerabilities for your business. And so um, don't make that mistake. It's something that can be corrected. And uh, Jeremy, you've got a bunch of resources on your website for people. I mean, you've got a podcast, you've got courses, you've got your book that you mentioned, uh, and you've even got an assessment tool. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about those um, different resources and, and what they do and how they can take advantage of them? Thanks, Adam. Um, I re- really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. So, so Adam, my goal is is to make legal advice accessible for all business owners around the world. So we we want to get rid of that divide between uh, lawyers and and really um, you know, make it accessible for everyone because we know that knowledge is key to helping people understand what their legal problems are so that they can avoid them in the future. So, uh, if people go to uh, listeners go to businesslegallifecycle.com/slash/coppreneur. Uh, they'll uh, see our website with with our resources. And as a thank you for having me on the show, uh, we've given you um, listeners a 50% discount on taking the assessment. So what that does is it takes about 10 minutes. Uh, you answer about 30 questions and it uh, basically identifies what your main legal risks are so that you can either take it to your attorney um, and work with them to, to really fill those, those legal risks and stop them. Or if you don't have an attorney, we actually have a, a referral service too where we can refer uh, people to attorneys uh, in their in their area so that they can um, you know get the work done to, to plug those legal risks we don't solve the we don't we, we don't we identify the legal risks we don't do the work because we want to work with attorneys to help them to be able to help their clients better and so so that's on that web page there's a course on there uh, if people want to know more where we uh, actually teach you a lot of the legal concepts and what you need to do there's my book as well which is uh, you know for uh, the majority of your listeners are in the US. There's a US edition, uh, which you can find on our website uh, um, that goes through all the steps and what people need to do. So I'd encourage people to get on there and see that as well. And there's also lots of free resources on there to really help people understand what they need to do uh, and and really plug those legal risks so that they don't fall into those um, statistics where they, the business fails. Awesome. Well, why don't you let everybody know where they can connect with you too? Um, obviously, we want them to check out the podcast. Um, so if you want to let everybody know where to find that, and then how can they connect with you on social and uh, follow any content you're putting out? Yeah, the, the most, thank you again for the opportunity. The, the most, uh, the one where I post the most is on LinkedIn. So if people search my name, Jeremy Stratton. I'm the only one um, with the spelling of my name on, on LinkedIn. Um, and I can give you the link to Adam if you want to put that in the show notes. Uh, yep. Uh, best places there. I put out content um, probably three times a week, uh, talking about different legal aspects of, of business. Uh, and that's the one that I'm most active on. I, I, I do have a Twitter account and a Facebook one, but I enjoy LinkedIn the most. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. And like you said, we'll, uh, we'll put all of the links to everything we talked about here uh, on the show, as well as your social media channels and, uh, and 
the the offer you put together. Thank you for doing that, by the way. So uh, like Jeremy said, just go to businesslegallifecycle.com forward slash copreneur and um, you'll be able to get 50% off of that assessment. Find out where the holes are that are leaking from the hole right now, or maybe they're about to spring. Um, but either way, Jeremy, it's been good having you on. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at leo2ceo.com forward slash podcast dash review or in your preferred podcast listening app. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other copreneurs like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to leo2ceo.com, click on podcast and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.